0: Chitlids and welcome back to another episode of Board Chitless. We've got a great treat for you this week. Me and Tristan have broken into the Steamforged <laughs> <Where> Games world. <else? laughs> yeah, well, broken in is you know the, it was a door that was
1: open and we snuck through. And then we were very uncuttingly like, given drinks and taken to <laughs> yeah. the boardroom. It's not
0: really breaking so, in, so you could say that we're almost invited. Um, but because we're... that's not
2: the normal way it happens. No, no,
0: we're we're sat here with Richard and Jamie from Steamforged Games. How are you doing, guys?
2: Hello, good. Yeah, really good.
0: Yeah. It's nice to be here. Thanks.
2: Are you enjoying this Manchester weather? that we have this summer. It's nice, isn't it? Having a bit of sun and, like, unfortunately, our building's quite enclosed so when we're actually in the building, we don't see the light. We just see our LED lights above our heads. Gamers then... who don't see the light. Yeah. What is this? It's pretty, pretty shocking. So. But, yeah, it's, it's nice to walk outside at the end of the day and go, oh, that's what I missed today. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, that would have been a great
0: day. Yeah. <laughs> We've been enjoying about three, four days of solid sunshine, which, um, for Manchester, is one of the harbingers of the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. So I hope yeah. everybody's um, got all the, the house and affairs in order because <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to last. Let's get cracking then. Richard, we'll start with you. If you could yeah. just give us a general background to uh, what got you into games, did you start gaming, and what drew you to games development, really?
2: Sure. So... I I started playing way back when. Um, Hero Quest is, is yes. introduction by my dad. Uh, we he, he, you know brought best that Christmas to, ever. It's kind of the moments <laughs> he brings it out. He's like you know let, let's play this son like and and the old um, games by Ian Livingston as well. Uh, the, you know the fight, fight fancy um, going through those the, the adventure books and that that, that, was, that was my experience. And so my dad kind of brought them into the house and my mum was like what are you playing random toys for? But it just get me into more and more interested in it and then I found Games Workshop like a lot yeah. of us do. Uh, and then that was kind of it. Then the hobby side has always sat with me for the last few years. I've done computer gaming bits like that, but I always come back to my roots, which is board games and, and tabletop games, especially miniatures. Um, and from there, like I met Jamie through miniature gaming. Um, so we were good friends playing War Machine. Um, we played quite a high level. Uh, and then... We also met Matt Hart, uh, my co-founder of Steamforge, through War Machine. Uh, He's he's a gamer and incredible painter, Matt. If you've never seen Matt's painting, go and check it out. He's he's amazing. Um, And We we kind of sat down, me and Matt, one day. And um, at the time, Jamie was around the world winning all the War Machine events. And me and and Matt were kind of getting more of the the twilight years of the War Machine kind of community. And we're going, you know, we're getting a little bit jaded at the time with the the format. They were changing the game a little bit. And we kind of said, you know what, uh, you know, why don't we use our skills to make, try and make a game? Um, mm. And you know, I, I come from a design background. That's what I trained in as a teacher and design teacher. Matt comes from a production background, but he'd always wanted to be the creative side in the video games. Um, we kind of swap roles, really. And we did a lot more production. He used a lot more the dev side. But between us, we, we cross over a lot. And... Yeah, fast forward four years and here we are. We, we started Steamforge and, you know, I rang Jamie one day and went, you know, Jamie, uh, do you fancy a job? And he's like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Um, and yeah, we went from there. So uh, we, we kind of get to us right today. the day. So now not only do I... Make games and play games, but uh, yeah, it's just a hobby and everything's kind of all fell into That's place. It, yeah. So it's great. Yeah.
0: Once the hobby gets its clutches onto you, it doesn't really like go very no. quickly, does it?
2: No, it's, it's in my blood. So and I think it always will be in my blood. And I think Steamford really is a is a sign of that. You know, that we've tried to keep a culture of that for all our staff. You know, we're always playing up in the Forge, our on yeah. site store, and that we're always playing there and after work and just playing games and chatting about games and the industry nice. all the time. So it's, it's quite nice. So. Great One of the
1: things that won't be apparent in the podcast is. The sheer size of this place, like Forge, <laughs> yeah. the warehouse is enormous. Like, we nearly got lost in it coming in on yeah. the way in. Uh, how far you guys have come in the past few years is absolutely incredible. Um, Thank you. Jamie, can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got started and stuff? We've obviously heard the War Machine stuff there, but <laughs> did you get Hero Quest for Christmas one year and, no. and then go down a rocky slope? No, no, actually. It was a bit more of, I guess, uh, from a miniatures games
3: perspective, it's a bit more of a conventional start for me, which is I played with the Games Workshop systems, Warhammer Fantasy, Warhammer 40,000, was where I started off when I was about 10. Uh, played those games for quite a long time, and the thing that really um, that took took uh, my eye when I got to sort of like twenty twenty one was I really enjoy competitive gaming. I've always been a very hyper competitive person, so when I learned that there were tournaments with this hobby that I really like to play, I was like, I'm in, just let go. Made for this, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and really got into playing um, playing competitively with all the games that I played. Uh, moved over to War Machine because because uh, you know I was um, just enjoyed playing that game more when it when it when it came out than the, the GW systems uh, at the time, and started to do very well in the tournaments and um, when you're playing a competitive game at quite a high level you need to have a very analytical mind I think uh, and just you need to make sure that you know everything that your opponent knows and I mean kind of need to guess what they're doing before they're going to do it so you yeah. can predict movements and try and outplay them and luckily that's something I was quite good at I actually won the British Championship for War Machine uh, four years running yeah, well, went, well done. <laughs> went to, Thanks. I went to I was one of the first people ever to cross the pond and go and win a big American convention as well
1: um, So Richard wasn't kidding when he said you were flying no, around the world so, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There, was, there was a time at which <laughs> National was, Man of
3: Mystery There was a time at which I was I I was, uh, wasn't very bad at being sociable <laughs> but I uh, was spending all my time and money going around the world and, and, and playing tournaments and, and loving it basically it was a great yeah. time in my life uh, and then that sort of was starting to wind down and at the same time as that was starting to wind down Rich uh, asked me if I wanted to help him play test skill ball um, which I said I'd be very very interested in they were very happy with my work and it was very
2: hard to get to do that, by the way because Jamie, <laughs> Jamie's a one system man so yeah. Yeah, yeah, back in the day so, um, so you are a war machine at that, point. Point. that was it no, nothing <laughs> else not at all so, yeah. I'm, I'm, ac- I'm acutely conscious that
3: I have a very obsessive nature <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I, 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 back in the day, I didn't used to play many games, but the games I played, I played a lot of. Um, so, so, yeah, it took me a bit of time to, to get to try Guild Ball. When I did, I loved it, fell in love with it, and then play, helped play test it. And they were so impressed with my work that they, I was so thankful they offered me a job. And since then, it's, it's been the job, uh, the job I never knew that I always wanted, <laughs> um, if that makes any sense. And now that I'm here, I wouldn't want to go anywhere else. It's, it's, it's fantastic to work here.
0: Excellent. Brilliant. So all the notes upon the Guild Ball weren't going back saying it needs to be more like Warhammer, then we need more like <laughs> War Machine mechanics <laughs> in this. And before you know it, then you've just got Blood Ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, that sounds epic though. It sounds like um, you're a real close-knit sort of family. you know. A lot of really close friends just yeah, in, I think and it's,
2: you know it started off you know four like I said before years it feels like a short time but it falls feels a long time as well. Yeah. So you know a lot of the first hires we did were with friends and you know people we knew and but actually you know some people left us some people have grown with us like Jamie's one that's grown with us and you know that's natural in any company of, of what we're going through and I think we now we're you know four years in we've just had a, a significant investment you've probably seen uh, you know a five million investment yeah. into the company so it's our our next journey is now beginning you know over the next course of. Taking a, an entrepreneurial base where yeah. we started and starting a bit more of that corporate life, and you know, we didn't imagine four years ago that that would even be a possible, or even if we should do, ever do that. You know, it's two guys in a bedroom with an yeah. idea. And that's where we started. You know, and to play make games and. This, this journey and, and these opportunities have just allowed us to, you know, employ 40 odd people, to give them opportunities in this industry and, and just keep growing it basically, you know, and we've, we've had ups and downs over the last four years, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say we're perfect, we're not perfect, but what we've done is been persistent and we've learned and we're growing and that's what we always do, so.
1: Brilliant, well- do you want to talk to us a little bit about how this investment came about? I mean, were yeah, you courted sure. by this? I don't know how much you want to sort of yeah, share. Yeah, no,
2: that's absolutely fine. Yeah. So we, you know, about, about eight months ago, or six to eight months ago, um, we started to look at, you know, what the journey would be next for the company. And, you know, and we were getting, you know, it looked like there'd be some external interest. Um, so we started following down that route. And from that, we had we had about 10 parties interested in to to, to come in and to to invest into the company. Me and Matt um I own the company, you know, 50-50 now. Um, and so we had a lot of chance to, to actually bring someone in. Um, so we we felt it was a good opportunity because uh, what it would allow us to do and, you know, looking at Kickstarter company, you know, companies that are predominantly found in Kickstarter, it's quite difficult sometimes to get out of the cycle of kickstarters and yeah you know we we saw our growth period over the next kind of 10 to 20 you know 10 to 15 years we could you know gradually get ourselves out of that over time by trading etc but it, it it was a constant fight and like you know the last year or so we've you know we've been going well if we could owe, you know only order an extra x amount of that stock and you know well we're going to put the money here though and we're going to do that and yeah it's a juggling act a little bit and it, i you know i feel for a lot of companies some of it's a lot behind the scenes a lot of time and i can see other companies struggling with these these issues and and actually, there's you know, there isn't always an opportunity to get out of it. but we, you know, we found this kind of avenue to help support that. And what this investment will do is, you know, it really strengthens our back end. It means that we can get some right senior management in to support the management team. We can get logistics in place as well to actually support the delivery of our products. We can look at our stocking issues and make sure we're stocking that well. You know, we're keeping re-ups yeah. so, so that retailers are happy. Just it's gonna, over the next kind of six to twelve months, we're really gonna see the benefits what we've done, and, and yeah. they're going to grow and you're going to see that in the marketplace. And, you know, we, we couldn't be happy with our partners foresight. You know, they've been fantastic supportive. The fact we've got Ian Livingstone as our, our NED as well. So That's Ian, so cool. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's like you couldn't imagine it. So Ian's awesome. And, you know, so it's just, everything seems to be, you know, really falling into place and that. And I think, you know, some of the, Issues we've had in the past, and now sort of start to rectify ourselves and yeah. really kind of smooth our journey going forward. So nice yeah, it's been so great. So.
0: Looking more towards the business side of things, and yeah. you know, free you up a bit more to look at developing. Really, yeah.
2: Well, that's it. I mean, it, again, it's supporting the development team. So you know, we're not we're not strapped on on time. It allows you know me to step into my CEO role a bit more and, and give those guys a bit more support in that area. So you know, we could you can bolster that team up. We've already brought in, you know, some consultancy work, you know, pre-Christmas to start working on project management and controlling that, and the benefits have already been seen by by the team up there and that. So it's 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 across the company. We're just seeing this next level of of journey, and I think the weird bit with Steamforge is people. We've always tried to present ourselves as you know a really professional outfit, and you know we yeah you know, we we always strive for that top standard, yeah. you know. And sometimes I think we've done that too well and, and then people kind of assume, well, these guys have been doing it for years and you know and we haven't, you know. Yeah, what I mean we still you know, sort of feeling your way we're through, still, kind of, you know, yeah. we're four years in compared to a lot of the companies, but we get compared to, you know, the likes of Cool and Not or Fancy Flight Games Workshop. Yeah. these companies are vastly bigger and, and vastly, you know, upsized yeah. and us. I mean, it's a, a massive compliment, don't get me wrong, that we get compared to them. But it's also, it, you know, it's a daunting at times that you know, we are doing. So we're obviously doing something well, but when we do something wrong, it's like, well, Seamon wouldn't have done that. I'm well, you not know, sure they wouldn't, but, it, you know, it, it's a case of we are learning. You know, we, yeah. we're constantly learning, but we are definitely trying to improve and get better on them as well.
1: It's so. interesting what you were saying there about um, Kickstarter mm. and and sort of getting away from that as, as your, like, main platform. Yeah, That seems to be, like, the goal of uh, a lot of, like, indie uh, game developers, you know, Jamie Stegmaier started yes. through yeah, Kickstarter yeah. and now he's managed to pull himself away from that and he just sells directly to retail yes. and stuff. I've spoken to other like game designers and mm. producers who've said similar things as well. It mm. seems to be there's a certain mindset about Kickstarter is the beginning and ending of all gaming now, yeah. you know, and that's where everything's at. Mm. But actually, um, I think it it kind of, it's brilliant, and I obviously use it as a platform as well, but it's also very restricting and it, yep. it, yep. it, it puts... Pressures on uh, publishers, which are almost undue. You know, if you were going to your bank manager to apply for a loan, yeah. you'd have that discussion with your bank manager. With uh, to get your business started with Kickstarter, you're having that discussion with you know
2: between <laughs> anywhere from five hundred yeah. to hundreds
1: of thousands of yeah. People, yeah. people who are all now yeah. your bank manager in effect. Uh, well,
2: it's it's a really good point. I mean, we. We, we see it as a, you know, we'd, we'd love our business. We're not completely moving away from it. We think it's a fantastic platform. And I think any tabletop company nowadays, I do think needs to be involved in Kickstarter because it's, it's a brilliant PR platform. It's a brilliant way to get our celebrate ideas and get, you know, crowd information. So, you know, we see it as part of, you know, fundamental to our business. But like you said, it, you are showing the world. So, you know, you're, you're telling that story and fair play, you have to do that as well. You know, you, but, but if you go going down to retail a product, a lot of, you know, things that happen, you just wouldn't see, you know, if that boat was delayed and the as retail product for eight months. Yeah, you would have no yeah. idea. You know It'd be I mean? a footnote in a catalogue. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and these kind of messages, you know, if you've got an issue with a moulding or something like that, all that kind of things, and I think ninety nine percent of the time, a lot of you Kickstarter backers you know the 90% of them will see the post see the updates and take a very reasonable response and go that's yes, fair enough and they'll shut that email down and that'll yeah. be it but you know they'll, they'll be that small percentage backers that you know are very passionate and they they will join in positive negative critically and you know most of the time it's to try and improve or to help you know to help highlight you guys this isn't right guys and like we you know <laughs> we're trying to fix it you know but it's and it's you know it can be frustrating it can end up in a bit of a troll session on there but actually generally people just want improvement want yeah. betterment so exactly. it's never done out of yeah. you know pure malice i very rarely see someone no. with pure malice so. and they
1: well and they come back yeah. at the end of the day you know the the figures speak for themselves especially for steamforge games mm. is that you've got this loyal fan base who are going to come back and support you again and again and i suppose when you do have the uh, like a troll fest yeah. or anything like that it's it sometimes gets hard to see like the end result but the end result is the game is delayed by a week or you know a, a month or yeah. whatever it is and it's a it's an issue that just gets overcome yeah. Yeah. and then done but like you say it is it's a little bit like having yourself exposed to the public yeah, account it's... for the, all of the inner
0: processes but yes yeah, it gets treated more and more like a marketplace isn't it i suppose as mm. time goes on and i think it once you know it was a huge industry disruptor for the like for retail and now it's the sort of norm in um, in a couple of industries board mm. games being one of them so it's how will that evolve, really?
3: Yeah, I, th- I mean, just literally going to
0: pick up on that point is it's been really interesting to watch how Kickstarter
3: has, has, has made indie gamers and just all gamers using the platform evolve over time and how they approach it. I mean, um, Devil May Cry that we that we've got live on Kickstarter at the moment is actually just a, a great example of that where we've we've really taken a leap forward in how we approach Kickstarter and the fact that this is the most fully developed game that we've ever taken to the platform a lot of the time. And a lot historically, you'll see a yeah. lot of gamers, indie game designers, come to uh, the platform and say, "This is a game we're going to develop," or it's partially developed. Yeah. Um, and now you're seeing a lot more of those uh, companies come to the uh, come to the platform and go. This is an almost or is a fully developed yeah. game. What do you think of it? And and people getting more and more used to that. I think responding better. Mm-hmm.
0: I think excellent. In, when you say most developed, then is this a case of once the Kickstarter's finished, then it's you know, all the sort of. Um all the digital masters and stuff get sent off to the printers, or it's just a little, bit, a little bit more tweaking and to be done there. Yeah, I mean, you,
3: the, the reason you say the reason you say sort of majority of developers or arm developers is developers because you want to give yourself that little extra chance, just because it's there are no better play testers and proofreaders yeah. than the public, and you should never write that off. Just yeah. even if you just go, this is done, we've proofread this a million times, we're going to take it to Kickstarter and show people. There's always going to be that one person that goes, you missed a little typo here or something there. So it's always good to say it's nearly it's nearly finished in case you've got yeah. small tweaks to make later on. So that's and that's exactly true for Devil May Cry. There's very little to nothing that we need to do post it's finished, which yeah. it's always. Just good to leave it open just on the off chance there's lots of people engaging with that rule book right now downloading yeah. it from the Kickstarter page and if there's something they spot just that we haven't because yeah. we're human it's really good to leave yourself open to go okay we can fix that for production now we can go
1: excellent could you talk to us about the seven-day window as well? Because this is the this is a quite a short Kickstarter, isn't it, for De- Devil May Cry?
3: So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of elements that we put together that we thought we'd, we'd try um, for the first time. It's and we've, we've not done with our previous campaigns, particularly the length of the campaign. We haven't done any stretch goals, haven't done any add-ons at all, and it, as you say, is a very short campaign. It's mainly to, to try and uh, I mean, channel all those elements together. I mean, um, it's no secret, really, that there's an element of, of uh, FOMO to, to Kickstarter, you know, fear of missing out. Yeah. And, there's, and, and it's totally fair to say that it's trying to... to you know, to tap into that to make the Kickstarter successful but at the same time it's also um, you know trying to eliminate unnecessary areas of a Kickstarter what can happen sometimes with extremely long Kickstarters three four week Kickstarters if you haven't prepared properly you can have a bit of a dead space in the middle where your updates are not quite as flashy as they were at the start people are less interested and you can have a bit of a dip as well yeah. um, and making the most out of that if you're, if you're already not planning to have stretch goals if you're already not planning to have add-ons you need to ensure people are engaged from start to finish yeah. so acknowledging that it's actually quite a good idea to keep a short Kickstarter you can have a very solid burn of all the information that you've got and have people excited from start to finish.
2: I think we, you know, so with that in mind, what we did was we we flipped it on ahead. So we actually did a month of marketing instead. So we, we announced the title a month ahead and then we've done a whole month of kind of releasing content and information telling people it'll be seven days, telling yeah. people when it's coming. And that's led them to that window because one of the issues of doing a long campaign, you know, traditionally people thought, well, we'll do a long campaign because you get the people's pay windows. That was, so they have enough money to buy it during the campaign. Yeah, you can catch
1: but, the start payday and exactly. the end payday yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. actually
2: we thought, well, actually, if you tell them a month ahead it's coming in this week, they can do the same thing. They can save that money yeah. for that window, right? And as Jamie said, you know, stretch goals are iconically the, you know, let's unlock more goals, but, you know, well, let's, let's, Pull the, you know, the, the big industry secret here that no, everyone knows. Stretch goals were built into the core pledge most of the times, what yeah. people are buying. And it's a way of incentivizing people over time. But actually, it's already been costed. And a lot of, you know, a lot of Kickstarter backers know that. They know it's there. And it, it's actually, well, you know, why, for this one, we thought, well, why, why do that? You know, let's just go you know what, this is the maximum value we can do as a publisher for you. Let's put it all in one box. Let's give you one price, and let's see what you respond. And, And actually, reading the comments and that, there's a genuine lot of people going... Thank you for doing like this. It's very obvious what I'm getting. I'm not worried about what I'm not missing yeah. out on. And it's one, it's, it's fair price. You know, you're getting a lot of stuff, you know, we're giving them the, the backers have given you early. They're going to wait for that product, but they're going to get, you know, like Jamie said, the former, they're going to get some Kickstarter exclusive bits and they're going to get like yeah. a very well priced set. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting experiment and we'll be yeah. pretty happy with the results at the moment. So yeah.
3: It's also just another minor point just from working in that comment section the converse, the entire conversation is different as a result yeah. of the, the the make of the Kickstarter because the game is, is near fully developed and there's there's not many like complications to ask about the stretch goals people can just be like let's talk about the game mechanics fine yeah. let's talk yeah. about the game mechanics they're done it's we can great, talk completely yeah. openly and we don't have to go oh we're not entirely sure yet or we'll, we'll give you some other delaying yeah. answer no it's all there it's all there to read let's go and have a conversation about it and, and really get excited about this game
2: it's just really nice to see like you know seeing that conversation not worrying about oh we're 4k from the next he- stretch goal they're actually literally like Jamie said they're talking about the mechanics and how's it work, and watching the videos and and that's end of the day we're making a game we're not making a you know yeah you know who how much you're going to get on the pot you know it's not <laughs> a carry <laughs> auction like, how many but, toys you can exactly, fit in a bag sort of thing that's not what we're doing we're making a cool experience for people so and but, the figure speaks for themselves as you said like wait, it's our, our team's done a great job i mean tom lishman was is our, our lead on this project especially so one of Russ's team but tom's done a fantastic dog at dmc he's, he's a massive fan himself and you it blew us away i remember coming in um and kind of saying i was i hadn't checked on the dmc project for a few weeks and i kind of well, how's the dmc project going and I'm like well you don't see the sculpts and i'm like no i don't see the sculpts. And they showed me and it was literally in a few weeks we had this many scotters like oh my god these are out of this world like you know so yeah and like yeah and, and russ and the team and Jamie was like yeah i'm pretty happy with these Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah know. Right, you know, Right, that's excellent um so in terms of the game then um with it being an established IP of Have you been quite regimented with what you can work with? Or have you just been given like a very sort of like tight set of constraints or they've just gone, there's a few games here. You can just pick and choose your most favorite bits and put them into something new. Um, interesting story actually,
3: because when we, when we first started talking to Capcom about working on the Devil May Cry, uh, license, then they initially were asking us to look at Devil May Cry 4. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it was actually on the back of the, their initial release of Devil May Cry 5 when they started to release the teaser videos and they were like, actually, we're really happy with the public response to what we've had so far. We'd actually like you to work on Devil May Cry 5 content instead fantastic. so we were like this is fantastic we get to do something we have never done before which is to work on a game that is not yet released mm. yeah which is just a, an amazing opportunity so they they gave us access to like lots of uh, playthrough videos and other content and stuff that people out in the public didn't have yet and it's like this is amazingly exciting we can't talk about <laughs> any of this stuff and it was, it was, it was a, a, an amazing experience uh, so we did so we did focus down very much on the content of devil may cry 5 limited ourselves to that kind of content especially because capcom had asked us to as well and yeah. there was also more than enough to work from um so uh, those were the only really constraints we put on ourselves and and, yeah, there was, there was, as I say, there was more than enough material to work from to create a game.
2: We had a lot of flexibility. Yeah. I mean, Capcom are a fantastic partner, so when we do our initial pitching and that, and, you know, Matt, my business partner, Matt, will do a lot of that at the top end the creative side. Uh, the core concept of the overall arc and that, but, you know, the very, very riffy sessions where we actually go down to Capcom, show the idea down, they'll have their input back and forward. But Matt will bring it back to the team here. Dev will have their input, and it'll swirl around for quite a few weeks. It yeah. takes a few months to get that process done, but at the end of that there'll be a, a core concept core, core idea to work from and then you know we, we go from there and on this project as well we brought James Hewitt in uh, who's done a, a phenomenal job to, to assist us in this because we as you've seen we've got quite a busy workload so we're <laughs> looking at friends in the industry we know and James is you know he's a good friend of ours so he's he's done a great job of, of really polishing that you know and uh, Jamie you know assisting from our end to make sure that it fits that steamforged feel from a product so how does it feel
1: from, like, a gamer point of view as fans of the IP as well, having to handle this? You know, it's like <laughs> being asked to do something like Star Wars. You know, it's what, terrifying. What's, <laughs> yeah, what's, what's the personal
3: feeling? It's difficult. I mean, there have been days when, particularly for the sculpts for me, because I love the visuals of this game uh, and, and mm. the mechanics have followed it just as well. And I remember seeing the uh, the Devil Trigger miniatures, they're the really big demon miniatures that come for the game, and seeing those come through from Tom, and I was running around the office going, look at this, it's amazing, it's <laughs> fantastic, it's great. And be, and it's kind of really good that, that this building kind of almost falls as our support group and we're working on a project we can't talk about in public because yeah. we can talk about it at least in the <laughs> building so i'll take a picture yeah. and be like look at this this is fantastic and they obviously won't go anywhere outside but you can at least room within the building it's great yeah so uh, but yeah it's uh it's 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 a surreal experience it's quite difficult to explain um but mm. you know you should feel honored and, and yeah. privileged it, and try and do the best with it you can
2: it is crazy because you know you, you grow up playing you know playing these playing resident evil like i mean just yeah. a great example like in resident evil 2 i love that game and to think now that I've, you know, my boss, well not me, but our team, you know, Steamforge has made that game, you know, into a board game. It's just phenomenal, you know, and being able to, you know, to talk to work with Capcom and get the original art files and stuff and just seeing yeah. how it was all constructed behind the scenes and, you know, yeah. things you wouldn't normally see. And just, just, it, yeah, it blows my mind. That like, in itself yeah. must
1: have been dead exciting.
2: Oh, it's incredible. Like, sharing, you know, sharing the lead on that, sharing is, one of the die-hard die hard Resi fans I've ever seen. And this was a dream come true, this project for him. And I think it's reflected in the quality of the gameplay as well because any Resi fan knows that that game is Resident Evil too. Yeah, yeah we did. we've did. we had
1: it on the, the podcast, haven't we? And I'd definitely say we're fans. And it's a, and that's a great thing because when you get an IP like that, everybody who's played it has their own idea of, you know, what makes it Resident Evil, what makes yeah. it Devil May Cry. And it's like you see now with uh, the latest Game of Thrones series and, and everyone, like... It's it split people, hasn't it? It's split audiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you've got these people like, no, I want it to be this way. And then other people like, no, it's actually yeah. really good. And
0: I've, been, I've, been like, I've been using the excellent metaphor of Christmas Day. So it's like Game of Thrones, you know, it's like the run up to Christmas, it's Advent, and then it's all very exciting. And you're building up, you're building up, building up. And then you've got Christmas Day, and it's like, what? Is, it's gone so quickly. What's yeah. happened? <laughs>
1: Why am I so hungover? Yeah, exactly.
0: And it's, it's, you know, it's, you know it's, it's all the same, isn't it, really? But in terms of, like, the IPs and, like, re- playing, um, working with Resident Evil and working yeah. with Devil May Cry, are you working with the same team at Capcom? Or did you work with a different with different people each time? No, it's,
2: it's different people. So, we'll usually, there'll be a certain level of seniors we work with for just the initial concepts. And then, depending on what team it is, they'll have their own internal teams like we do. Um, so... It really depends. So DMC team is different to to obviously uh, the Resident Evil team yeah. and that. So it just depends on which one. So you have
0: okay. to start those relationships from scratch almost. Yeah,
2: and we do. And we don't really because a lot of like what will happen is like in the DMC is that the the lead in Resident Evil two um, that did you know when we started that one. Um, he worked very closely with the DMC guys, and the DMC guys saw, you know, in, like just like we do. They saw in Capcom, "What are you doing there? Well, that's brilliant! I wonder if they could do that for my IP, and then we'll get a phone call." Like, cool. So, and, and so they, there's a lot of interaction there. So and I think that's what happened, pretty really much happened. So you get this kind of roll-on effect in their company, and you know, Capcom have been an incredible partner for us, and yeah. you know, they, you know, we we love working with Capcom. And I think you know we, we can't wait to continue to working with Capcom. So. And how did those initial conversations come about? Because obviously
1: Guild Ball's your own IP, yeah. and then you did like Dark Souls, and, and so it's it's, yeah. it's taken a jump. You know, you had proven <laughs> success, but it's, <laughs> it's going a to... bit of a jump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did that all come about? Uh, did I'm, you just turn up at the no, from software offices knocking the door? I would love to <laughs> say it's
2: you know it's it's just super easy, and no problem, anyone can do it. But you know, Matt Matt comes from a, a long line of a, a video game industry. and That is what he's done. He's producing the video game industry before starting all this. So he'd worked on Heavenly Sword. He'd worked with Sony. He'd worked with Bandai Namco. He'd worked with Capcom before. You might recognize some of these names. Um, <laughs> so he had a little bit of a rolodex, and the, you know he had got a good reputation for being a, a strong producer on titles. And yeah. so when we first met uh, Band, you know Bandai, and you know he, his name was known, so it helped us get a little bit in that first import. And then, and then the creatives that we managed to show them and what we could do actually sealed the deal. You know, and you know it was it was a. It it was a difficult journey, but it uh, it feels like it was you know oh it's been a year we had a cool big IP yeah it's not as easy as that there's a lot of (laughs) stages there's a lot of (laughs) learning to do you know the amount of legals contracts and. Yeah, you know, just the sheer upscaling you got to do to, to get these positions. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say we're lucky. Lucky is a weird concept, and I'm never sure. We worked very hard, you know. I think by working hard, lucky things happen. You yeah, know, you, work you, def- you work yeah. yourself yeah. into
1: a position where you can allow those lucky exactly. things to happen. Yeah. So yeah
2: When when the opportunities arise, we we managed to to grab them, you know. And yeah. see, you know, I mean, there's a brilliant Netflix series, of Toys That Made Us." If you've not seen it,
0: I watched the first episode of it. Yeah, it's absolutely in the absolutely incredible. Star Wars one. I definitely yeah, watch yeah.
2: if you watch that because I think there's. Moments in that, and I'm not referring to our own company, but there's moments in that where, <laughs> in pitching stuff, things happen, and it's just a great idea of you know people with ideas and concepts, and yeah. how you sometimes you got to really put yourself out and limb to grasp things and then deliver on it. It's it's yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, I recommend that one. So yeah.
0: Definitely a good watch. <laughs> uh,
2: Jamie, can you tell us about your... Well, I mean,
1: obviously, you're excited about Devil May Cry, but what have been your favorite projects to work on whilst you've been here? I mean, um, even though it took a while to first convince me to play Guild Ball, uh, as, as Richard said
3: before, <laughs> once I started playing that game, I genuinely fell like full on in love with it. And I've been working... Even though I work on it less now because I've moved into a bit more of a management role for, for the development team, I still have, I still can't fully let go of it. <laughs> it's very difficult to. Yeah. Um, so that's that's always been probably my number one passion project since I've been here, uh, since day one. And I, I think it still is as well it's just a fantastic game i always love playing
0: mm-hmm. excellent so we went... self,
3: richard
1: favorite been... project pick, pick your favorite child
2: <laughs> it's really, I mean, I, it probably is i mean this is a thing a guild ball is kind of it's like lifeblood of the you know everyone in here you know knows guild is our yeah. first ip i mean the god tier is looking great our next miniature game that was you know it's a long development on that project and i cannot wait for people to play that this year um i think honestly i think actually dark souls for me uh, because I was quite heavily in the production of Dark Souls and actually getting the, the core thing out, and it although it's it just a mammoth project and the amount of knowledge that that got pumped into the team from that yeah. project, you know, for good or for bad, you know, the journey, I think that's really what gritted the whole company and made us what we are, you know, and I think that's. You know, it'd be, I cannot wait this year for for the stretch goal delivery later in the year to get that all completed finally and get the, the you know, and, and I because I think that you know I'm already seeing it now. A lot of people revisiting the game this year, going, "Oh, stretch goals are coming! I can't wait to play them." You know, because it's course, like breathing fresh life into it. it is, again. Yeah, and, you know, the, and you know we're getting the murmurings already. We're already with our distributors and the, the retail because the the reprint of the core sets coming out as well. So everything's aligning for Dark Souls to be yeah. really kind of coming round again. So. And we can't, you know, can't wait. You know, our bandai is so happy with what we've done with the title and what we can do with the title yeah. as well. So I think yeah, for me, Dark Souls was, was I think Guild Wars at heart was my pure passion, but for the things I've learned from and things I've grown from, I think Dark Souls has been fantastic. So
0: brilliant. Well, I'd like to talk to Jamie just a little bit more about what you do here at Steamforge because you're a senior developer. So, what exactly does that mean when you get a game? What sort of position is it in? Is it all very much like you know index cards and? <laughs> <laughs> bits well, uh, it varies project to project. Um, so we, so
3: Matt Hart being the creative director, a lot of a lot of our initial concepts come from him and people that work close to him. So I've I've been uh, working with him on initial concepts before. So other people as well, showing does quite a lot of the yeah. initial design work with Matt. Uh, so it really it, it changes quite dramatically from project to project. In a very in very broad strokes, what will happen is they will come up with a concept where if they've got it to a working pro prototype stage and when they've got it to work in prototype stage and they've played it a few times they'll bring it up to the office because they, they uh, Matt and Sherwin both work remotely right uh, and they'll bring you up and go, this is the, uh, this is the concept we've got. Uh, we've got this working prototype. What do you think of it? We'll have a bit of back and forth over the concept. And if they need to, they might go away and refine it a bit more. But basically, when they've got to a point where they're super happy with it, we'll come in, we'll bring it in. The, the project manager will have a look at it as well, and we'll chop it up and start having to think about how we can get this game produced uh, uh, and and try to think about its limits. Because once you've once you've sort of worked out your borders and limits, so you can start yeah. filling, in, filling in all the gaps, you want to know sort of rough card counts and what kind of space you can work within the box, how big the miniatures are going to be, if there's going to be miniatures at all that kind of thing Um, and then at that point you just need to start filling in all the gaps uh, producing all the content for the game it will get assigned to one of our game developers in the team so you've got a team therefore basically a project manager or or production staff um, the original designer of the game and then a developer and the three of those will kind of work between them uh, on all these aspects of the game the project manager's pulling together all of the graphical assets and all what the game's going to look like and they're sorting where it's where it's going to be produced and what the t- shipping timelines, all yeah. that kind of stuff's going to be. At the same time, the developer is putting together these enormous <laughs> spreadsheets of where all the different card numbers are going to get filled in, orchestrating our playtest groups as well to, to make sure the game's working along. And, uh, and the designer, the, d- the initial designers are never out of the picture. They're always coming in periodically. They'll get a bit quieter because they need to go and work a, on further designs. Yeah. But they're always coming in and going, just let's just have a look at this. Can you tell me about where you're up to with the playtesting? It's always good to maintain that relationship between between design yeah. and development because sometimes a developer can just accidentally I've done this before myself you can get into a point where you can go I, I've got it in my head I want it to work this way and this is the most balanced way of working with it because that's can kind of sometimes what's most important to a developer on a given day and then a designer will come need to come in and they need to have that conversation we go I understand what you need to do this for game balance at the same time that's not as fun or it's not kind of the initial idea I envisioned let's work it back a little bit let's talk between us about how this idea can work in a slightly different way and then set them off again it's really important those three work together for that reason yeah. Uh, and then you can get down toward the end uh, of, of the project and then you start bringing other teams you know the media staff for instance uh, about how they're going to you know, start publishing etc and then you, then you kind of go from there so that's in very 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 general broad strokes is kind yeah. of how it
0: works excellent So like the, uh, you know you have the fix-it men <laughs> of, of the <laughs> department <laughs> men really you know, like... trying to be super humble <laughs> but yes <laughs> but it's, it's, it's super important job really now let's do all these epic logistical tasks and free up those designers to design
2: I think it's it's interesting as well. I think Jamie highlighted there is it's it's having that open mind though because when a, when a pure creative comes at something compared to someone who is more development analytical format, there, there can be clashes there. that Sometimes they can never see the other side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. something we've really tried to promote in Steam is have the view of of the other person because. That will make you a better developer or creative at the same time. Yeah. And that's why James said those touch points are really key because they will be angles. You know, me and Matt, when we started this, we are, you know, we, together, we complement each other's skill sets when we managed to make Gilball because uh, I'm much more analytical and, and, you know, Matt is much more of the creative realm. But together, actually, after five years of arguing each other, we got to, <laughs> we got to a stage where actually we could see each other's point, yeah. you know. So and you know, and that's when that's when the the real good stuff happens. Actually, yeah. when you can when you can really understand why why they're trying to achieve that, you know, when and, the science
1: meets the art, yeah, kind of thing. yeah. I mean,
2: basically. and It's a very very difficult position to get to. think yeah. mean, If you're a new designer and you you know if you're going through that loop, it it does take time. You know, it does take time, and and some people will struggle to ever get there. But it is that open-mindedness to each side and what they yeah. bring and you know the crazies are the crazies for a reason <laughs> right uh, talk about, uh, magic beans. Yeah, the magic yeah. beans of my heart yeah that was what they're known as yeah <laughs>
0: Well, you know, when you're being creative, sometimes it's nice to have constraints, you know, and just like some, yeah. you know, a framework to work within mm. so that, you know, you can make something that is tasty for everyone and not just yeah. some crazy <laughs> mental <laughs> I mean, we, blob of game.
2: We, we have our, you know, we've developed our Steamforge culture and the way we do things, and that's what we've experienced in here. But, you know, you could talk to other designers, developers, it, you know, if you're a one-person developer, like, you know, or a publisher, it might be a different experience. But definitely for us, it's been that, that kind yep. of little tri- that little triangle that Jamie explained, and that and the kind of the the, the flow between those and there's yeah. there's not really a hard line, you know, in between any of these areas between the creative and production. That whole journey there's a lot of blurred lines between it, and it you know it's good, but it causes problems when who's my line manager? Well, I don't know because I'm working on this today. <laughs> and this it's not clear like that sometimes. It, you know, it's it took us a while to get to that, but now I think we've got an, a system that kind of flows really nice. But it
1: gives you more flexibility as well, more does, agility yeah. to pop Absolutely between does. projects. Yeah yeah especially when you're handling so many different IPs and yeah. projects at once
2: well it makes sure as Jamie did make sure that you know when that product comes out the end it still has that creative flair it has that control in it yeah. as well and it's not too balanced on either area. It's yeah. just a real nice mix of all Th- of it. The us.
1: trick is to disguise all of that process, isn't it? And yeah. give the players a thematic experience at the end of it. Exactly.
3: Absolutely. And you wanted to kind of try and take the best of all the key areas, make sure that everyone's influence is felt exactly where it needs to be felt. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the key structural changes, because this process is still evolving, one of the key pro- structural process changes that we made about a year ago, less than, is that we actually combined the production and development staff teams together. It's now called the Pro ProDev production development mm-hmm. team. But they all now work in one room in, in, no, on purpose so that we can all speak to each other if we need to, we don't have to. I mean it used to be that we were working in different parts of the building, and we end, we ended up finding as our working relationships got closer that we'd spend most of our time walking back and forward between those two rooms. <laughs> yeah. just thought, we'll just we'll just have everyone in the same room just out <laughs> all of that time, and, and that just took, was another great leap forward in terms of uh, you know in allowing those two teams to work together on yeah. the things they yeah.
2: need to work. Then we also brought um a product owner on as well. And Alex, Alex was the lead developer of um, of Dark Souls and but then he's moved on now to a more senior role of the product owner and his job is to ensure that the customer experience. So he'll be his job is to literally come and prod the, the development team, the production team, and the creative team and go, What journey am I having him as a customer? Is this gonna be fun? Is it not? Why is this happening? You know, from everything from just the, the gameplay side, from opening the box and that, you know, his you know, I think it's been really valuable to see that and he really champions the customer in, in those roles as well. So cool. Because sometimes yeah. you, you can lose sight in your own beautiful vision of what you're creating, but is it actually a good? Is it fun? Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, does it represent the target market you're trying to target? You know. So. Cool. So you guys
1: are spending all day, every day, working and developing games and board games. What do you do for downtime in the evening? Do you get so sick of them that you just don't even want to break out a board no. game? <laughs> <games. laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, we're quite lucky to we have, we have an on-site. Um, we we created a we we kind of worked out. Tell us it, about the forge. Yeah, so we, we kind of worked <laughs> out that you know we were all gamers, and when we when we got this new place, we were like, well, what can we do for a staff on-site? We're not Google, don't get me wrong, we're nothing like that, but we thought we could have a few tables and play a few games there. So we we kind of had some space here marked out in the building to do that. When we did it, we were like, well, a lot of staff want to buy games from different publishers and stuff. We all play all sorts, you know i'm quite proud to say that you yeah know, we play games workshop stuff we play Seamon stuff you play FNG. the enemy's games yeah i believe it or not it's, you know we're a small industry <laughs> so we, we like to and we're quite open about that we play with people's because you know there's plenty of good games out there um so we started to go well actually we could make a you know to help staff here we could get a trade account and because we're all, we're all buying products all the time yeah. anyway and slowly the the forge idea came about where actually we can make an on-site retail store so yeah. we we did we just does that so we've got a, an online retail you know on-site Retail store. It's open six days a week. It's got an online website as well. And uh, yeah, we stock all the major range from all our, our competitors technically. And is this a
1: trick so that you can pay your employees in games instead well, of cash? Was, uh, that saves me overheads. So yeah, you take no, a Joseph Salt sort <laughs> of uh, approach to this. No, it's, Come it's, get it's your your support. Board tokens.
2: Uh, yeah, it's, it's support. It support the community of the game yeah. as well. We also noticed that in in Trafford where we are, there wasn't any real. You know, there's, there's very there's, little. There's tra- nothing
0: to do, is there? There's nothing the tra- really about
2: <laughs> oh, the Trafford Center and stuff like that. There's nothing to do. <laughs> so we need the game store around here. So that's what we wanted. So yeah, we um, we set up on site and it's been great. It's been we've kept it quite under the hood. We've just been very slowly building it and word of mouth getting round. Yeah. And we're now starting getting 20-30 people a night coming playing games, you know, just from word of mouth. Yeah. So you know, for us it's not, you know, it's not our main income stream, nothing like that. You know, we, we make games here for Steam for what we do, but yeah, it's just a really nice thing to have. So, you know, we'll stop at work and we've been here till six, seven or a Kickstarter launch. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll knock out a game and play a board game or whatever, get some yeah. takeaway in and, and play games. So it's, it's just Fantastic. great to, yeah, it's really
0: it's, fun. It's a great idea, and you see it in a couple of different industries. So, in like, you know, an apparel company might have a shop upstairs as well. Yeah. Like breweries as well, opening brewery taps everywhere, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So it's great. To get, see companies like you knocking out really brilliant products, and then opening like a, you know, a space where people can actually come talk to you yeah, and like exactly. play games with you as yeah. well. It's pretty And We've got a
2: bar as well. We've got a bar license now as well, which is <laughs> great. okay. So yeah, yeah. yeah, helps on launch nights and things like that. Well, Taxi home. He does have the <laughs> the, as well, You're the designated like, driver, <laughs> So we have also the advantages of um, on playtest as well. So we can yeah. invite um, people down to private playtest screenings or games like yeah. that. We can run tournaments for our own games on the site and see that. So we get a lot of data and a lot of kind of feel for, for people so it is really useful facility. so yeah I just want to drag back to one
3: particular point you raised as well which is the like for me something I didn't realize but I've, I've now come into really treasure is it's so important to be able to to just enjoy what we're doing because ultimately mm-hmm. as you say we're making we're making games it's important you'll always get the mo- you always get the best work out of a creative when they really genuinely enjoy what they do and love what they're yeah. doing and have a passion for it and it's key to never lose that so what's we're under the really important things about it is, is we're not we don't we can play any games that we want to play in the public. is, is the point I'm trying to get around yeah. to, and mm-hmm. it's and we're encouraged to go and play other people's games. You can play Steamforge games if you want to. I'm running a Guild Ball tournament this weekend. I don't have to. I'm choosing to because I love what I do. Yeah. But at the same time, I can go and play a 40K tournament or a Star Wars Armada tournament and, and enjoy that. And go and write about that in the public if I want to. And it's it's great to have that freedom and just be inspired to genuinely love what you're what you're doing and not lose that. And it's I just you know it's a point I want to drag up because I think it's so important. Yeah, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah.
2: Jamie Gibbland, our community manager, plays a lot of um, Shades bar, You know, and I I play a lot of Shades bar as well well like and you know we we, we just love games we're, we're gamers you know as a company so i mean know, yeah, we, we play our own games we play other people's games and we just play a mix and i think it's, it's it's naive and and to think that some of these big gaming companies with all these different creatives only play that company's game i mean come on like again it's, it's researching the researching the
1: competition right it's you know <laughs> I, mean
2: that, I mean that as well, well genuinely. Genuinely. Is that, gen- that is a genuine point like uh, how can you if you, if you as a game designer just, just look at what you only do, then you'll never get yeah, better, you, can, right? you
0: can't, like, look at your stuff no. all day long and then go away and continue to look at your stuff. No, you'll get you jaded. You'll get complacent and yeah. you're jaded
2: in on what you do. So, you know, we are always playing a new game going, wow, that is, you know, excellent. or oh, that's terrible. Like, you know, yeah. we're, we'll form our own opinions and you know, all that bubbles away. And when we're making our next game, bits of, you know, things will appear and not appear. And, yeah. you know, oh, remember how they did that? Oh, well, we could do this, you know. And so it just keeps us fresh and keeps all our stuff. Brilliant.
0: Well, know. while we're on the subject then, is there any sort of particular designer's work that's turning up to the tables upstairs? Are you looking at some other designers, like, you know, uh, like James Stegmaier or of It'll be lord up there.
2: Who are you James, your faves? James, yeah, James, yeah, it's what, something what we talk like? about quite a lot. Yeah, you know, we, look, I mean, James we James James's games. Been great. I mean, I've got a *Titanic* is on my desk at the moment. Um, in in my room. So, I'm, is that um, the old school one, or is this? That's in, the, the, new, v- the oh, new. Oh, the new version. version. Yeah, right, okay. GW, so James was 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 one of the leads on that uh, for oh, cool. *Games Workshop*. So, uh, I think he's done a great job of it, and it's kind of really hits home that old school nostalgia feel, yet kind of modern kind of design. Yeah. Although I really *Games Workshop* have a real habit about um when they do rules and rule books, it's, you have to go about three books and then find out the section you want for, for points. And I understand why they do it. It's just really frustrating. I want one sheet to tell me everything. So I end up using the army builders to build there's, the army. There's a I funny know. conversation. He came to me wondering, Jamie, I want to
3: I learn to play. I want to play Death Watch. How do I do that? Well, you need at least 13 books Three <laughs> manuals. It's
1: fine. You'll enjoy
0: it though. So yeah. You only need four and a half pages from all of them though. So
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had a Dawn of the Zeds arrived yesterday and it's got five rule books. Five, five rule books. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive.
2: So yeah, I think, I think um, we've, I've, I've got a, I've got a, one of Jamie's, um, I'm currently, I'm, I swear I'm building the best side version you can have outside of his <laughs> own. So I've been doing this for a long time. It's an internal joke a bit, but I've got the metal miniatures, I've got the upgrades, I've got the meeple upgrades, the wooden upgrades, the tokens, the promos. I've been doing it for about a year. So I think the only thing I need now is the module map he's just released. So. Right. I've got to get that. But yeah, I'm a massive fan of, of that system. And yeah. when it's finally complete, this ultimate set, I will have an epic game upstairs. That's the plan. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think his stuff's great. I think FFG do a great job, don't we? A lot of us love yeah. FFG games. What do you
1: think about the app based stuff they're doing? I haven't
2: played the new one yet, the Lord of the Rings one. Yeah, I've seen it played upstairs in the Forge. Uh, it looks awesome, like really, really cool. Um, so it's, the, it's a
1: trend isn't it with the new fantasy flight games now yeah. with, the, with the thematic games with using the apps is that something you guys
2: would consider i think it, i think there's a we've looked <laughs> at it yeah i mean we don't want to get too much away but the, uh, the the whole digital realm is interesting right and bringing that into games how you do that and that. i think in the past a long time ago there's been people that tried it and didn't hit it i think ffg doing a great job yeah. of kind of that semi-middle that ground interaction um, which is happening and it's just going to be interesting to see where it goes, you know? So Yeah. It's, I, mean, I
3: mean, with the miniatures games, it's been really fascinating watching the, the kind mm-hmm. of things they've been doing the last couple of years when they did the, the experiment with, uh, what was it called, the... Um, uh, the X-Wing the X-Wing game um, which one not sorry X-Wing sorry Star Wars I'm game uh, no it was oh, no, the Rebellion one. was it? Uh, no it was the the miniatures one with the, uh, the foot soldiers it's, it's, it's not it's Legion, legion. It's no it's not Legion it's the one that was like Descent Imperial Assault thank you sorry yes, <laughs> was, like, you. Sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sorry I took it I was like, just like, a, just, like you own this
0: game we played yeah. there there's <laughs> some <laughs> fantastic
3: radio there trying to call it I'm just going to say every Star Wars word
0: I could think of sorry
3: Imperial Assault where they had like an AI control bad guys if you to play through a campaign mode very innovative watching how they do that I actually play a lot of time now playing X-Wing and they recently added an official app to that so it's an interesting way to watch them as a miniature game very very fascinated about the way they conduct their erratas and the way they mm. need to change things over yeah. time um, most living miniatures games you kind of need to accept that you're going to need to make changes every every now and then yeah. just because that's the way changing and evolving living miniatures games work nowadays yeah, yeah. and they do this by not having any point values printed on their cards they are only through this free app that allows them to change the points every six months or so without having to change any of their printed material yeah, yeah. very very simple
2: change but very clever
0: and then remove the matter as well at the same time so, absolutely you know long you, you know, longer. Just we, did, to Gilball, we did remember
2: with thing. We Ball, we did. You know, we we looked at that, I and mean, that was pretty clever. So we actually went digital with a lot Guild Ball cards. So you know, we, we cool. keep up today to date cards. We have a Ball manager app as well. Yeah, where you can download it and, and play the latest version of those cards. So, it, like James said, it's, it, it was quite you know cool to see how they did that. So they've yeah. got the half and half we went full digital in our product line Yeah, I think it's just it's going to be an ever evolving position I think as, as we go forward I think so. yeah
0: we've not really seen it used probably to its full potential so no. like, we really enjoy playing Manchester Madness where mm. basically you've got a virtual DM that'll just tell you how you set yeah. the board up and then you move around and take damage and stuff an um, interesting one was Munchkin isn't that for Munchkin and all it does is count to 10 <laughs> um, but well, right. it's amazing because you don't have to try and remember what everyone's level is at and where who you need to you just track the levels for you yeah, you're just, you're just clicking up and down per player, and it but it works really nicely. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, all this sort of stuff, how that's going to, like... I think it's we mentioned like,
2: with Resident Evil 2, I think when we started looking at things like, uh, what would be cool if you get to the puzzle room and you can scan the room and all of a sudden you can do the puzzle. You've got an actual puzzle actual to actual do. Puzzle no, like, things cool. like that would be cool concepts. And, yeah, because that's yeah. a lot harder to yeah. replicate in a game and have it yeah, change each time. Or... Exactly. So I think th- there's so much that's going to come, you know, forward from, from publishers and that over time. It's just... You know that level does require an investment, and you know it, yeah. it, it's cost and that. You well, know. It's, it's
0: a whole new development team, or yeah. you're outsourcing a lot of work, aren't you? Really, yeah, and that you know basically. it's going to bring cost.
2: So it's all, it's all about balancing that and growth of games and, and platforms, and you know, and I think it's and I'm not going too far as well, because at the end of the day, we you know we there's a reason people play board games and it is it's that, that kind of it's interaction. Getting away from screens. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's interacting with people and, and, that, and that always needs to be key. It needs to be, it needs to be supplementary to it, not not take over that experience, I think. So. It's, it's often
3: interesting as well trying to find a challenge of trying to do something that you could do. I mean, I'm mean, going to say this in massive air quotes, easily in, a, yeah. in an app <laughs> and then trying to find a way of, of representing that in a board game when you can't just have a random generator or when you've got to do it through a card deck. It's yeah. very interesting trying to, find, trying, trying to think your way around that problem.
0: As well, just from a different perspective. And definitely. And things that people think of it like that, you know, in a UX where someone can do it easily as a player, but that's just an absolute minefield of problems for a developer or a publisher to actually create that in the first place. Yeah. Full on. Well, we've been we're going on for quite a little while now. Yeah, so I get the sense we could up. just
1: sit here and chat all day, so conscious of your guys' <laughs> kind of time, and also that we need to go and check out The
0: Forge. Yeah, um, we should probably... So, so other than, um, well, obviously, like Devil May Cry, um, mm. doing great guns and Kickstarters, is there anything else that you want to let the public know about? Are you coming to your King Games Expo this year?
2: Or? Uh, so, two questions there. Uh, we're not going to Games Expo this year. Uh, we, part of the, you know, when we're doing the the investment and that, it's took a lot of into resources to actually get that, that yeah. right. So we've, we've kind of had a little bit of a hold on kind of some of our shows around this time. Gen Con's our next big one. that's coming up to us. So we've kind of just aimed for that one, basically. Yeah. So uh, And then for upcoming projects, it's a definitely a big TB, you know, confirmed, like TBC. There's lots of things being worked on. Um, I think we confirmed that there's another nine brands we're bringing to the market this year. Wow. So Fantastic. there's a lot of stuff. So we're going from a... It, it's going to be a real upscale. And I think come Christmas yeah. time, there's going to be a lot of... SFG products under people's trees because uh, there's quite a few nice toys coming out. So, and then, yeah, the, the, the roadmap is bright and shiny, and and we can't wait to, to, to show them what we're working on. So, yeah, it's going to be good. Very cool. exciting stuff on we're, the way.
1: We're going to come back then, aren't we, and, yeah. Yeah, and discuss those projects <laughs> <laughs> with you in the future.
0: So, yeah, well, with that in mind, where's the best place for people to learn more about SFG and um, the products that you've got coming out? It's
2: dead easy. It's steveforge.com. Uh, So, if you go to our website, you're going to see um, kind of all the products there. Uh, we've got our website there and links to our. Local game stores, distributors, etc. Uh, we are running quite a big overhaul as part of our investment. We've done a big kind of e-commerce thing that's going to be announced in the press very shortly. So there's a bit of space for you. So I think this next week it'll come out. Uh, I think E3 Creative in Manchester. We're going to be working with yep, them, on own, them on a yep. brand new, a brand new website. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're a top bunch of guys. They really understand Steam Forge and what we are. Um, so yeah, we're looking forward to that. So I think all that'll do is enhance people's experience of getting data because we've one thing we're chronically oh. bad at is getting all our kind of things we've done on our, you know, Guild Ball and our IPs. Yeah, We've got all this artwork and all this information, but actually giving a user journey of that is it's quite yeah. difficult on the web to do. And you end up having lost in big PDFs and documents. Yeah. So I think what we're going to try to try unlock that and really give people experience when they come to our site. So, yeah, there you go. Bit of an exclusive for you there. Fantastic. Anyway. Well, it's been
1: brilliant chatting to both of you. Thanks so much Thank for coming you. on the show. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up again soon.
0: Yeah, and we'll be yeah, we'll be back very soon with another podcast, uh, me and Tristan chattering about more games. Yes. So thanks very much Richard, thanks very much Jamie. Thank you very much. Thank Check you.